It's good to be here again. Thank you so much for your prayers last Sunday. Um, I got into Berlini Bible class and you let me out again. It's <laughs> <laughs> remarkable. But uh, one of the, there was a, a tall, well spoken young man going out and they all shake my hand as they go out. They shake, shake everybody's hand, really, I think. But they're shaking my hand and this boy said, I'm a believer. And I said, oh, I'm pleased to hear that. You know, and he said, uh, I was sentenced on Wednesday. He must have been a remand prisoner and got sentenced on Wednesday. He said, I've been thinking about my life a lot since Wednesday. He said, and I want to tell you I'm a believer. He said, I wasn't a believer when I came through that door, but I'm a believer going back through it now. And we're really grateful to God for working. In, his name's Scott. If you want to pray for Scott... Um, the folk who lead will follow that up but uh, it's good to know that God's still working in human hearts and bringing people to himself so thanks for your prayers if you have a Bible with you and care to turn to John chapter 4 I'm going to look at this passage again John chapter 4 we can take it as the Lord's approach to us personally but we can also take this passage as a blueprint for witness to other people. You know, folks say, how, how do I get through to folk? You know, how can we share the message of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with folk? Well, this is a kind of blueprint for how the Lord did it with this woman and how we can do it. So we're going to read from John chapter 4 verse 1. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about midday. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. 
I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus loves the boys and girls of all countries and colours. He also loves the ladies. Germaine Greer said she was a real red-hot feminist. She said, women are the truly oppressed majority. What do you think of that? eh? Mm -hmm. The truly oppressed majority. You know, when... When Martin Luther used to write to his wife, you know what he used to put at the top of his letters? Dear Rib. (laughs) Because in Genesis it tells us that God made women out of man's rib. And there's an old commentator all many years ago called Matthew Henry. And he said, why did God make make women out of Adam's rib? He said, well, it was not made from his head to top him, or his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm (laughs) to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. What do you think of that? that, Well, I read that again. That's good, wasn't it? Not out of his head to top him, nor his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, near his heart to be loved by him. There are some folks think women are brainless simpletons. (laughs) (laughs) Only good for... The German phrase was Kinter, Kuche and Kirche. Wayne's, the kitchen, <laughs> and the church. <laughs> and the Jews said a daily prayer for repetition was supposed to say every day, I thank thee God I was not born a woman. What do you think of that? Huh? It was actually a scared of God's type prayer because um, they were spared, it was a sigh of relief prayer because they were spared the pain of childbirth. I thank thee God I was not born a woman or a, a Gentile or a prisoner. These were three of the 
parts of that prayer. I thank thee God I was not born a woman. If you go to Israel today you'll find the same thing pertaining. You go to the Wailing Wall and the women pray separately from the men. They're not really up to it. And they don't pray beside the men. And here the Lord Jesus meets up with a woman. A Samaritan woman. And the Jews and the Samaritans just didn't get on because the Samaritans were a mixed multitude. Uh... The Samaritans were the descendants of the mixed multitude that were put there as a result of the Assyrian conquest of the Middle East. What the Assyrians used to do was they practiced ethnic cleansing on the people that they defeated. And to save them gathering together to rebel against them, they mixed all the races up and resettled them in their conquered countries. And so the north of Israel was populated by a mixed multitude of races and religions and therefore they were always suspect to the Jews and they had their own sanctuary at Mount Gerizim and their own Samaritan Pentateuch the, the translation of the first five books of the Old Testament the Samaritan Pentateuch and so they were uh, one of the modern translations says um, the Jews didn't even share cups with the Samaritans and to this day, in some strict Jewish homes, if you go for, for a meal or a cup of tea or anything like that, you get separate dishes from the family. They don't associate with Gentiles. So here's Jesus, and the first thing about him is this. He begins where we are, and that's lovely. He's tired and thirsty. She's a Samaritan woman. She was lonely. Why was she there at midday? Probably because the other woman wanted nothing to do with her. And she kept away from them by going midday when the sun was at its highest. And although they had the same biochemistry, anatomy and physiology and central nervous system and sensitivity to pain, the Lord Jesus Christ had all that too. And even went to physical death on the cross for us. But to her, normally in Jewish belief, she would be a racial mongrel with a tainted religion and a substitute sanctuary in scripture. Um, there's a contrast between chapter 3 and chapter 4 of John. Chapter 3 we meet the top dog in Judaism. I often think he's got an Irish kind of name, Nicodemus. Um, but he was powerful and respected and trained. He was a man, he was a Jew. Um, he was a teacher. The woman was ignorant, despised, a bad influence. All these men that she was with. A moral outcast. And both of them needed Jesus. And that tells us a lot about it. The Lord Jesus Christ could get alongside anybody. And deal with them. Um, meeting Jesus. He begins where we are. He met me where I was. He met many of you could stand up and say what you were like. I was talking to two guys in the car this week and they were both boozers before they became converted. 
One was a lager man, the other was a vodka man. Um, and he went to where they were, he went to where she was, and he comes to us where we are. That's the first thing to notice. The second thing to notice is that our interests are his interests. They met at a well, he was thirsty. And it wasn't until I went to Israel I realised the vast difference between a well and a spring. So he talks about a spring later on. And the living water I give will be a spring welling up within you into everlasting life. A well is static water. A spring is living water. And so he came to where she was. Here's a dugout well, Jacob's well, half a mile from the village. Still fed in that point in Israel today by a spring. And they were alone together. To an Orthodox Jew that was defiling. And it would also give the gossips something to talk about as well. One of the awful Jewish sayings was the daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants from the cradle. And the women were surprised that Jesus asked for a drink. Far from being defiled, Jesus sanctifies what he touches. When Livingston, David Livingston from Blantyre was working in Africa and he was discovered by the journalist Stanley, Dr. Livingston, I presume you know that famous saying, he looked around and he said to Livingston after a day or two, he said, how can you possibly work here as a doctor? How can you possibly work here in this filthy place with all this superstition, idolatry, slave trading, all manner of evil? And Livingston said to him, where pure waters flow, everything becomes pure. And the Lord is that influence on folk. The Lord Jesus comes to folk. And you know the two guys I was travelling with this week are both marvellous Christian guys. And the Lord invaded their lives by his Holy Spirit. And they're smashing blocks. I would die for these guys. I'm very, very fond of them. And Jesus was very fond of this lady. His heart went out to her in all her needs. And he comes to us, and his interests, our interests are his interests. He breaks all sorts of taboos in order to reach people. And Jesus knew this woman. He knows what's in her hearts. It tells at the end of chapter 3, sorry, end of chapter 2. While he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. And he knows each one of us. Isn't that amazing? And he wants us to open up to him. She, she opened up and talked to Jesus. Because she recognised that he was interested in her. Our interests are his interests.
The third thing he did was he exposed her need and he exposes our need when he comes nearest to us. We don't understand the cruciality of water in an arid land where it's seasonal. That's why Mark in his gospel says that the 5,000 sat down in the green grass. They all what's saying the green grass for uh, grass is always green, isn't it? No, it's not always green. Especially in Israel. You get parts grass out of the rainy season. And so it was remarkable. Probably springtime when the feeding of the 5,000 took place when the grass was green. The early rains had come. But here's a woman, she's thinking about water. And she's thinking about physical water. In verses 11 and 12, You have nothing to draw with, sir, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Jesus moves from the physical to the living, from spiritual water to eternal life. And that's what he does. He, he moves from our interests to our needs. That's how the Lord works. And if you're dealing with somebody, that's how you should work. You should move from their interests and be genuinely interested in what they're doing to their needs. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit among you, Ezekiel 36. Wonderful chapter. It's a great Scottish preacher called Guthrie, Thomas Guthrie. He, was a, he looked after waves and strays in Edinburgh. He was a wonderful preacher. He wrote a book called The Gospel in Ezekiel. A big, wickery a book. All in Ezekiel chapter 36. A wonderful book. So God has made us and Christ the Son of God knows us. He knows our interests. He knows our needs. Augustine says thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. There's a God shaped blank in every life which only God can fill. Do you believe that? That's how what we should believe as we go out of here into the, the everyday life of next week. And he gets her interested and excited. <laughs> it's exciting, it's vibrant, I want it. And we would have signed her up and said, oh, at this point, oh, that's it. You know, we've got to go. get her name down in the whosoever there. Um, give her a wee manual to read and that'll be it. You know, no, Jesus says, Bring your husband. And in the Greek text, if you know the Greek text, it's, it's amazing because Jesus keeps emphasizing husband in word order in the conversation. He always he emphasizes husband all the time and she plays it down. I have no husband. You know? And I tried to read it like that. Did you catch that in the meaning? I have no husband, you know. And Jesus brings husband into the forefront again in the conversation. What is he doing? You see, well, there are things to be dealt with in our life. And there are issues to be faced in our life. And that goes for every one of us. And we need to, to face up to our needs 
and to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ for salvation. Jesus exposes the real nature of her self-confessed thirst. He knows that she's, she's, it's not water she's thirsty about, it's men, isn't it? She's a man-obsessed lady, and maybe not even a lady. And there's a cat and mouse game in the Greek text in the conversation between her and the Lord Jesus. Jesus is gentle, firm, persistent, faces her up with it. And it has to be dealt with before you can move on. But she tries all the other kind of stuff, you know, like it used to be, what do you think of Ian Paisley? Nowadays it might be, what do you think of Dawkins and all these guys? Um, and she said, um, where should we worship? You know, your people say we should worship here and now we think we should worship. You know, she puts up a smoke screen and tries to get off the subject. <laughs> the natural thing to do, we quite often do that. And when we're dealing with others, they do that. Flattery is followed by deviation and discussion. It's easier to talk theology than to deal with unpalatable truths about our sinful need of God. And Jesus deals with it. He answers our questions about religious rites and sites. They will be obsolete one day, he says. He also cleared that the Lord in his infinite providence and mercy has chosen the Jews to be the vehicle through whom the word of Gentile salvation comes. And a true heart of worship is a shared spiritual response as we believe in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Samaritan worship was outside the stream of God's revelation. There's a final wriggle, a final flicker when she says, well, this is what a whole lot of folk do. One day, right? One day Messiah will come and then we'll get it all sorted out. One day, you know, one day. I, I don't have time just now, you know. I'm watching a program or something, you know. I don't have time. And he says, now, you know, now. Bring your husband. Let's deal with this. Um, the final wriggle. When Messiah comes, he'll sort it all out. And then he did what Glasgow people say, put our gas in a peep. <laughs> the I am the one, the I the one who's speaking to you. I'm he, glad to meet you. <laughs> you know? Jesus blows out her candle, puts her gas in her peep, whatever else, um, whatever else you like, however else you like to put it. And he reveals himself to her as the saviour and satisfier of life. Isn't that wonderful? As the saviour and satisfier of life. And some folk don't get much chance. With a lady in our church, and she was very concerned about her husband, he had cancer, and he was in the Royal Infirmary in Edinburgh. And he, he was fail, failing and f fading fast. And this pastor was going through to see her, to visit him rather than the train in the Royal Ed in Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. And he prayed to the Lord 
he would get him on his own at the visiting that night because he wanted to, to share Christ very directly with him and he did and the man trusted the Lord in that bed in the Royal Infirmary and two weeks later he was so weak he was going to die very soon and they sent for the pastor and they couldn't get away to visit the guy but another Christian visited the man and he said to the man he was a lorry driver called Eddie and he said Eddie if you're trusting the Lord Jesus for salvation would you squeeze my hand I know you can't speak to me but I know you can hear me would you squeeze my hand he said he grabbed me and went like that you know (laughs) come ye sinners poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall, Jesus ready stands to greet you full of pity joined with power, he is able, he is able he is willing, doubt no more, tremendous hymn that by Joseph Hart if you tarry till you're better then you'll never come at all the hymn says and Eddie died trusting the Lord and his wife was greatly encouraged Jesus reveals himself as saviour and satisfier. That's the way he goes about it. He comes to where we are. He shows he's interested in our interests. He, he moves from our interests to our needs. He deals with the problem of the sin that so easily besets us and gets us to, to confess it and repent of it and turn from it and turn to God and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then... He shows himself as the saviour and satisfier who went to the cross and gave his life and shed his blood for our salvation. And then what does he do? Well, he turns sinners into witnesses. That's what he does. She forgets about her water pot. Remember? We used to sing her. We were these choruses we used to sing in the Sunday school. The woman went to fill her water pot down at the bottom of the well, you know. And she went away and left the water pot and ran back to the village and spoke to the fellow villagers, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Surely this is the Christ, another way of of translating it. He turns sinners into witnesses. My memory goes back. Somebody said, how far back can you go? I said, 1874. <laughs> I knew the man, this man was 90 odd when I first knew him. I knew the man that held the horse's head, that pulled the cart, on which D.L. Moody preached in Burdowie Street, Postal Park in 1874. <laughs> and he said, When I got converted, he said, My wife got a new husband. My family got a new father. He said, I've been through university. I've been through my horse and cart. He said, said, when I got converted, my horse got a new master. The horse was totally dumbfounded because he took his bad temper out in his horse and suddenly he's clapping and being nice to it. Even the horse recognized they'd been converted. He turned sinners into witnesses. This old man was a great witness to the Lord in the open air. 
in Puzzle Park at Lamb Hill, John McConnell, what a man he was. And that's what Jesus does. An amazing saviour who satisfies. The chief business of Christ's church is to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. When old the uh, general oh, how's the time by the way? What's after twelve? Um, I'm nearly finished. When old General Booth of the Salvation Army was an old man and unable to go to the Salvation Army gatherings, they asked for a brief message from him that would inspire them. And he sent a one-word message. You know what the one word was? Others. Others. The Lord Jesus Christ is described by the Bishop of Woolwich in the 1960s as the man for others. So that's a, quite a good title, actually. The man for others, although his theology is wonky in a whole other directions. But never mind. <laughs> it's a great comfort to know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows us. He's the man for others. And every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. He sympathizes with our grief and sends the sufferer full relief. The condescension of Jesus in dealing with sinners never ceases to amaze me. And he was ready to share this living water with this terrible woman who was the outcast in her village because of her awful behaviour. And she wouldn't find salvation in Mount Gerizim or any other temple, any other where. She had to find salvation through Christ. We had a... The principal of the college said, stick to your object if not your subject. <laughs> The Lord Jesus always had the object of bringing people to him. And so should we. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you found us. We thank you that you come near to us today, even if we haven't found you yet. And we ask you, Lord, that you'll help us to thank you for all your kindness to us, especially for your death on the cross on our behalf. And we praise you, O God for your kindness to us. Help us to say thank you, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen.